It's time for Hamilton County Goes to the Movies for December 28, 2019. This is a podcast all about film, featuring Adam Austin, Carmel City Councilman, business owner, former journalist, and a lover of film. My name is Larry Lannon. I write a local Fishers, Indiana news blog. You can find me on the net LarryInFishers.com. On this episode, Adam and I talk about movies we have seen recently, and Adam will review his films of the decade. We welcome Christopher Lloyd, a founding member of the Indiana Film Journalists Association, as our guest to talk about his group's best of 2019. Let's get started. Once again, from Donatello's Italian Restaurant in downtown Carmel, we're here with Hamilton County Goes to the Movies. I'm Larry Lannon. Adam Austin is here. We're very happy to welcome uh, Christopher Lloyd from the Film Yap, also uh, a Channel 8 uh, personality. And with the Indiana Film Journalists Association, we're going to talk about their uh, best films and talk about some of his. But I just want to say that uh, for the first time ever, we, uh, my wife and I really didn't have anything to do Christmas Eve. The rest of our family was off doing other things. So we spent it at Donatello's, and it was fun. It looked like you have a regular crowd for Christmas Eve. Oh, yeah, we were pretty busy. So I was back there cooking, and uh, Larry was very easy. He had a very easy order. He didn't change everything on but, the menu. But you, but, but you did run out of my first yeah, order, but that's, that's okay. okay. You're forgiven. It was still a good meal. So uh, we're here to talk about a number of things. I'd like to start off by just talking about the Indiana Film Journalists Association because uh, Christopher Lloyd is one of the founding members of of that organization, as he is with the filmyap.com, where you can find his uh, you can find his and others uh, members of that organization their reviews. So I, I looked over the, uh, the the lineup you have on on some of the best films, and I just want to say up front, I was pretty busy the last few months of the year. I've not seen nearly as many films as you gentlemen have. Uh, but I want to just talk about uh, the films. You have a number of finalists. The winner was Marriage Story, which I wasn't my favorite or best film, and it was the composite of your organization. I thought right. it was a very good film. What wasn't my number one? So tell me about the process you all went through. You say you changed it up a little bit. First of all, how many members do you have now? Yeah, well, if you can believe it, so we're now in our, this is our 11th awards. Um, so we are actually now in our second decade of existence. We started with six members, um, and we are now up to 20, mm. um, and possibly we might even be growing past that. So that has actually been one of our goals when we first founded the group. Part of it was selfish of wanting to uh, use the collective organizing power that we had to push the studios for screenings and screeners and things like that. Another one was to just encourage uh, the community of film criticism uh, in the state of Indiana. Uh, so in terms of uh, how we arrived at Marriage Story for, for Best Picture, it's with 20 members, is obviously a lot different from six. I mean, from six, we'd go around the room and talk, and we'd pretty much know how people were going to vote. With 20, uh, you know, things shook out. We had several awards that, you know, as we tallied up the votes, we were surprised that, you know, like so-and-so hadn't really been talked so much about as being a favorite, and yet... You know, with 20 members, you know, you're actually got like constituencies now. So if you have 15 people kind of spreading their votes all over the place and you have five or six people all concentrating their votes one way, that can 
tip the votes. Uh, so do you use a multi-voting? I mean, I don't want to you know, disclose too many secrets here, but is it like a multi-voting thing where you go through a process from beginning to end? Or? No, we're pretty transparent about it. Okay. And I should actually mention not to use a podcast to promote another podcast, but uh, actually on the film app, we do something every year where it's for just the best film portion of our discussion we actually record that and make that a podcast oh, okay. so Good. it's about an hour long you can actually go on there and listen to us deliberate and you find that at the, the filmyapp.com yeah that's on okay. the filmyapp.com uh under podcast unfortunately i'm back in the day when we actually did like a podcast every week now it's like a couple of podcasts every year but that's one that we always do so our, our system is pretty simple we use weighted voting i won't go into the exact details of uh, but, but you know you do a ranking and this is I've, I've been in other film critic groups before i'm also in the broadcast film critics of association which is now called critics choice we've officially changed the name to that and pretty much they all use like a, a weighted voting system it's where it's like you list your top three or top five films in order and they get points according to how you've ranked them in each category okay. and also for us we so we do that and we also do a runner-up in every category except for the hoosier award um, and the runner-up is obviously just the person who got the second number of votes and we use another system for finalists because we sort of instituted that of having the run, winner and runner-up and we wanted to have eight other films just so we could sort of collectively say Indiana film critics say this is the ten best films of the year. So, a nominating process, or um, yeah, we do. It. We changed our nominating process this year as well. Basically, okay. we used to have it just be a completely free system where anybody could nominate, and one nomination made the made the ballot. And we changed it this year so that um, we still did that up through the first few months of the year. But right before, you know, a couple weeks before we got to our. Uh, of voting, we we winnowed it down, and so it was just basically like at least X number of people had to support a nomination for it to appear on our ballot. Which it really ended up not being that big of a difference because you know, typically when we start our discussion, you can easily see as things start in a particular category that there's you know X, whether it's three or eight real contenders, and then you might have 20 more nominees who are just sort of. Not really important. So, so you got a lot of nominees. So when yep. you were doing your own vote, were you strategic about, all right, I'd really love to vote for this one, but no one else is going to. Yeah. Like, but if um, I vote for this, this might have a chance to win. Yeah. As we say uh, amongst the group, you know, jockeying and elbow twisting are, you know, allowed and in fact encouraged. <laughs> and anything below outright bribery or vote <laughs> trading or anything like that is okay. But yeah, I mean, I can say on my own voting, and I know people in there is, like uh, my favorite film of the year, um, which my best, my top ten list is coming out in a couple of days as we record this, um, was a little film that almost nobody saw called Late Night, uh, written and starring Mindy Kaling. It's about a late night comedy host played by Emma Thompson, who's just amazing. I just had, I love that movie since I saw it. And I'm glad you said that because I just had a conversation with Adam before you got here that. That's one of those overlooked films, yeah. and it didn't get a lot of commercial success. I lo I, it wasn't my favorite film, but it's really up there in the top, so I'm, I'm really glad to hear you say that. Yeah, it's on uh, Amazon Prime okay. streaming, so uh, you, you can if you have Amazon Prime or you want to pay their little fee, you can go watch it right now. Definitely worth it. But for instance, I did not vote for Late Night on my ballot for IFJ because in the discussions I knew no one else was going to be supporting it. Um, okay. And just to mention, so for that other sure, top ahead. 10 list, um, it works a little bit differently in that it's, it, it's a separate vote of your top three rankings for best film. And then we also have a thing where you actually 
list 10, 10, your 10 films that you want to be our top 10 as a group. And so then each film with, to make the top 10, obviously the winner and runner-up automatically make the top 10. The other eight have to have the most number of support. So if you had, let's say out of 20, you had 18 people supporting a film for our top 10 list, it's almost assured it's going to make it. If you have two or three, it's on the bubble. All right, so one person getting a film number one overall and no one else liked it at all. Right, and that's that... Catapulted in the list, and that actually happened in one of our first years. I think, it, and it was actually my vote. It was my again. The same, You're so outside of the norm. I am. I'm, I'm, I'm the rebel within the group. But it was the same thing. It was uh, the movie Julie and Julia with Meryl Streep, which I just loved that film, um, and I gave it my top vote, um, and no one else voted for it. But because we had so few members, and sure. because the voting system was different then, that gave it enough points to make our top ten list. Which we all, I mean, I was the one who actually brought it up. I was like, as much as I love the movie, it's not right that a movie only I love is making our top 10 list. We need to have something that we need to, that list needs to show consensus. And so that's when we changed our system. I want to talk about all the films, but there's one thing in looking at the, uh, at your association's uh, listing. And that is that uh, your members did not give a lot of love to the Irishman. No. And uh, I, thought one of the best performances the irishman i thought was a disappointment better than average film but not 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 the part you would expect but i thought joe pesci shined in that film and there was no uh, nomination for him yeah that was interesting um i was one of the 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 irishman denigrators hmm. um to me it's just it's I, I refer to it as the martin scorsese buffet it's just little tastes and bites of all of his gangster movies from over the last 40 years and i in terms of the performances of the three leads, yes, it was great seeing them in there. I joked that uh, Pacino, Pesci, and De Niro each sort of swapped tr- chairs playing their <laughs> traditional role. That's true. Pesci was playing the very low-key Robert De Niro role. Al Pacino was doing the crazy, verbose, talkative guy who's usually the Pesci guy. Uh, and I guess the last one was sort of the, the stereotypical uh, Pacino role. So... That was very interesting for me. I, I like the film still. Mm-hmm. Um, it really did not need to be as long as it was. I agree with you on that one. Yeah, yeah. It, it was much longer than it had. A good film editor would have made that a better film. Yeah, Irishman. It's, Irishman, it's okay on Netflix because you can pause it and then watch it, it, and then the next day you can finish it. By the way, True. if you Google it, there's some data out there about how many you know Netflix promotes how many people started watching The Irishman. There's also articles out there you can find about how many people finished. Watching the Irishman, as aka, what percentage of people started watching the movie and turned it off, and it's a, it's an astonishing number. It, it doesn't surprise me. I I made a point to see it in a movie theater, and I was able to sit through the whole thing. I'm an old guy and still didn't have to get up. He blew out his kidneys, though. Well, yeah, but know. that's another matter. But I, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> but I, uh, I I wanted to see it in a, in a movie theater. Now I did see Marriage Story on Netflix. Tell me why you think Marriage Story ended up being the, the film that won your association award. Well, this year, which I would, I would in general will call 2019 a, a bit below average movie year. I would agree, yeah. Um, just because, I mean, I, I saw maybe like three, what I would call three great films, maybe three or four other very, very good films. And then I saw just a lot of good movies. I didn't see, you know, it wasn't like 2015, which I still think was one of the best film years ever where, you know, I mean, as I said, my... My 11 to 20 on my list easily could have replaced my top 10 in another year. Interesting. Yeah. Now, Adam went to the trouble of doing films of the decade. I, I'm not that ambitious. He's going to do that later. I know a lot of people have been doing it. I don't know how I would do it. I mean, I guess I would just go through my top 10 lists for each of the last 10 years and then 
try and pick from those if I was trying to narrow it down to 10. Just read other people's 10 lists and <laughs> yeah. stuff from that. Which that's... ones you like from that list or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the short uh, way of doing it. Your runner-up for best film for your association was Parasite. Yeah. I feel very bad I did not get a chance to another see that film. Tell me another about. film I was I liked but was in no way blown away by. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a perfectly good uh, foreign language film cr- from uh, Korea. It actually ho- has a lot of similarities, I think, story-wise and thematically um, uh, to uh, a film from the last year. His name is uh, it's Escaping Now, but it's from Japan. Shoplifters. Shoplifters, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's about a family of grifters, uh, you know, who are sort of doing their thing and, you know, committing all these petty crimes and then getting into bigger crimes and, you know, having that fall back on them. You know, this movie also had the, the layer of having the rich family that stands as counterpoint to the poor family, but I don't know. I mean, I, I think people were celebrating the film because of the socioeconomic, you know, justice issues that they felt were in there. Um, you know, I saw a movie where pretty much everybody were scumbags, <laughs> you know, We've saying like, too, well, these yeah. people are scumbags, <laughs> but these rich people are also scumbags. scumbags. <laughs> so everybody's scumbags. And uh, I guess I don't find that a very compelling narrative. I mean, in terms of what ends up winning. So this was an interesting year. Like Irishman had five nominations that made our short list, as we call it, but ended up not not winning anything, and I don't mind divulging that it really was, wasn't in the running for any awards. Okay. It really wasn't brought up as something. Um, and, you know, Parasite um, and Marriage Stories were, I would say Parasite Story was ardently loved by a small but vocal minority of the group, um, whereas Marriage Story was, I think, respected and admired by everyone, pretty much, without necessarily being a lot of people's favorite. Now, if you've never been through a divorce, most of us know somebody in our family or somebody who's a close friend of ours who's gone through a divorce. And what I found interesting is that it, it, it uh, dramatically, and in somewhat melodramatically in some places, uh, tries to explain in a story form the stages you go through yeah. as you go through. At first, we're going to work everything out. It's going to be fine. Then things start to deteriorate, get really bad. as a horrible scene where they have this huge fight. People are throwing things. And then, you know, toward the end, it, it kind of come, goes another way, which I won't divulge that in case well, people haven't seen it. Well, you know, this year has been a great year for horror films between uh, Midsommar and uh, us, but Marriage Story is the scariest horror film of the year. Uh, when I watched that, I was like, I will be... Oh my God, that does not look did you fun. Buy, did you buy something for your wife that day? I was. I love you, honey. I love you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's the it's the ugly side of when a marriage goes bad, and uh, and again, of course, the the subjects are artistic people, right? That often happens. The people who write these right. uh, write about people they know. You know, he's a producer and she's an actor, and and he's in live theater. Well, it's kind of based on uh, his marriage to uh, Noah Baumbach to uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. Mm-hmm. Uh, this famous actress, you know, from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. But it looks like he also put a little bit of his current wife, Greta Gerwig, uh, in there too with the actress who's now being better than him as a director. So I don't know how... You can argue that. Yeah. I don't know how uh, Greta Gerwig feels about uh, her being used for that, but I don't know. She, she had a very successful year herself. This could be a... Husband, wife, nominated year. When Maybe. you're when you're both artists, and you know one gets a better career than the other, you wonder how the people handle that. I would not know, but that's that's uh, that's an interesting concept. <laughs> yeah, Marriage Story. It, it's going to make my top ten list. It's not going to be in the top. I don't think it's in the top five. Um, 
It's a very well done, really great performances from Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver. I agree. And then the 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 three lawyers, uh, I'd say lawyers from hell. They're from from, from different circles of hell, maybe. Maybe the Adam uh, Alan Aldo character is from the top layers. Alan Aldo may get some 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 love for that character. That character was so much fun to play. I would think for him. Laura Dern should get a nomination. Yeah, Laura Dern was pretty. She probably will. Ray Ray Liotta. It's like which would Ray the Ray Liotta character or the Laura Dern character be from the lowest? Circle of Hell. I would actually argue the Laura Dern character just because she tries to pass herself off as being nice and supportive. Am I here to help you through this process? And all she cares about is winning and money. Mm-hmm. Um, at least mm-hmm. the Ray Liotta character is fairly up for upfront about that. <laughs> Here's what I'm doing and why. And the Alan Alda character just had cats throughout his office. That should tell you something. Just crawling all throughout his office yeah. and was recommended by his soon-to-be ex-mother-in-law. So that should have told him something. Uh, I love late night. Julie Haggerty, by the way, I love. Oh, that was another. That was another good. uh, Yeah, there was a good ensemble cast there that really uh, helped uh, pull that off. Uh, Late night was in my top list, but I have to say my favorite film of the year is Ford versus Ferrari. Mine too. That's my number three. Right. uh, You want to start, Adam? Why you like that? Well, you know, I'm surprised it hasn't gotten more love, uh, both with kind of lists of best of, and then when the Golden Globe nominations came out, it was nowhere to be seen. Uh, Christian Bale, I think, gives one of the best performances of the year. Um, if he gets put in as a supporting actor, I think he has a very good chance, although we'll talk about that's kind of a loaded category, best supporting actor. I think it would be a little bit of category hopping. He is a lead, a co-lead with Matt Damon, and uh, should be nominated there against, of course, Adam Driver, and uh, I assume Joaquin Phoenix will get nominated for Joker, too. But you know, Ford versus Ferrari was a film that I can recommend to a lot of people. A lot of my favorite films of the year, um, you know, whether it's The Lighthouse or Parasite, I'm not going to recommend it to everyone. They're going to think it's too out there or too weird for them. Uh, Marriage Story, I've heard some people tell me, oh, it's too much of a downer. So they didn't like the movie for that reason. Yeah, of course it's a downer, but it's a good movie. But Ford versus Ferrari, not only can I really recommend it to almost everyone, um, but I still think it's a daring movie that takes some risks despite it being a crowd pleaser. The way it shot hit scenes, I think, was thrilling. I think it was the best racing I've ever seen, better than Rush, which up until then was one of the best racing movies I had had seen. Um, And I think it had some of the most humanity of some of the films I've seen this year. Uh, It's a real story about kind of pushing yourself to the limit and, and perseverance and I don't know. I was I was kind of inspired leaving the theater. So um, I wish more people would give it some love because it certainly is deserving, in my opinion. So, Christopher, uh, your views on that film? Yeah, I loved it. Um, I contemplated making it my number one. Um, it's just so well done in so many different ways. It's you know, it's a racing movie, but racing is not the center of the story. The center of the story is these two these two men and their relationship. Um, you know their own personal demons, and then how they come together through conflict and cooperation to funnel their passions into you know uh, a, a championship uh, endeavor. The, I was so excited about this movie that it came out when, just when I heard it was coming out because you, you guys probably know uh, you know I'm a big car guy. Now if you're if you're a car person, you know about Carol Shelby at Le Mans. 
Um, if you're not a car person, you probably never heard of it. Um, I'm not into racing, and I love the movie. That's yeah. the interesting thing. Yeah. Well, I met Carroll Shelby very briefly once. Uh, I was covered the Speedway one year when I was in radio, and uh, he was it was with a group of people. I didn't have any one-on-one with him, but he was quite a character and a, lot, a really fun guy to be around. You would imagine that. There are three things I walk away from that film with. Number one is I love the racing scenes. Now, the I think they were done as the best uh, auto racing scenes I have seen since a film... That was not a very good film, but a great racing movie, and that was uh, the movie Just Call Le Mans by Steve McQueen. That's which, a long movie, though. Which yeah. is a which is it was a horrible film in many ways, but they shot those racing scenes so well. I they found- they actually entered. I have a uh, an essay about Le Mans on the film map. They actually entered the the studio entered two cars into the LaRon's race was, that year. McQueen was supposed to race in, in the race itself, and the insurance company said yeah. no. Yeah. yeah. So, so, they, so they had cameras <laughs> in the cars going yeah. while they were actually in the real Le Mans. Yes, there were other drivers, but yeah. there are. Yeah, they, got, they had some great racing. The problem was they went to Le Mans. If you've ever seen the documentary on it, it's very well done. Uh, they went to the race, and they had all this technology to record the racing scenes, and they had no script. And unfortunately, the the film kind of showed that, but as far so, another the first thing I would say is it's the best racing movie as far as the, doing the racing scenes since I'd seen that film. Second thing is, um, I loved the, the, the portrayal of, of Henry Ford II. Yeah, I, I had Tracy read, Letts, yeah. I had read a lot about Henry Ford II, and the way they wrote that character is exactly the man that I read about. Just you know, very oddball, as you would think in a life he probably led. But the third thing. One, and this is one thing I've known, I've covered racing a little bit, is that people involved in racing never, ever talk about the dangers of racing. I'm talking about the drivers and the people that work on the crews. In this film, there's only one person that even discusses the dangers of racing, and, and that's Ken Miles' son, you know, who asked the question, and they gave him an answer and just went on, you know. And uh, I, I thought that those three aspects of the film were interesting but the film itself was was very compelling and i'm glad to hear that you gentlemen liked yeah, it yeah it's also very true to history i mean a lot of movies like this change things all around you know composite characters or make people up if you've seen the film the the aeronauts uh that's out right now you can go read my essay about you know well that's a, a good movie with some of the most astonishing historical revisionism of a movie ever <laughs> um but like every named character in Ford versus Ferrari, including like you know like the 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 jerk number two guy at Ford, that was a real guy, and that was his real name. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and so they really didn't change uh, much of the actual historical record around. And Lee Iacocca, who became famous later yeah. for running Chrysler, uh, was a very top notch. He was a very prominent uh, executive with Ford at that time. Yeah, he was like the he was like the head of marketing right. basically. Yeah, and he's the one that brought Carroll Shelby in. Because when Ford went nuts, if, I mean, if you see the film, you'll see it. Ford, Ford gets so upset about Ferrari making fun of him and all this. So he decides he's going to win Le Mans. He says, you go find me somebody who wins Le Mans. So, well, Iacocca goes to the only man who's in America who has won Le Mans, I think, at the time. He had, he had won it as a racer. No yeah. no American team had ever won. No team. The, he, he had as a driver. Correct? Yeah, he had as a driver. In fact... Uh, I think Ferrari had won. I've, I've got the. It's in my review, but I can't remember the exact. It's like it was like seven yes. or eight. I think it was eight of the last nine yeah. Le Mans they had won, and fifty nine. The only one they hadn't won was Carol. with with Carroll Shelby as the driver right. for. I think uh, I can't remember if it was a British team or or what. I can't remember either. But I, I, here's another film I'd like you to talk about, and I think in some ways it's not getting the love I thought it would get when I saw it originally. And uh, I'd like your views. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So this is, 
my biggest disappointment of the year, this film. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying I didn't like it. If you make, if you stretch it to a top 20 or 30 of the year, I'd probably put it in there. Um, it's a film that is a hangout movie. You're hanging out with characters and they're likable characters. Brad Pitt's character, I think is a little better developed than Leonardo DiCaprio's. Um, but then they shoehorn in this plot with the Manson family. Obviously a lot of, changing history because it's a it's a fictional story and that's that's okay but it felt like throwing in the manson plot was to give a movie with no plot some sort of semblance of a plot yeah um so i didn't dig it as much as everyone else and i'm a tarantino fan but i think at the end of the day the story just wasn't there and margot robbie great actress i think she was wasted in this movie um in the end, it just the screenplay they just didn't do it for me this time. Yeah, we saw this film. I was thinking, okay, okay, Tarantino, when's the big bloody scene coming? And it came. So your views on that film? Yeah, I I enjoyed it more than uh, more of the recent Tarantino. You know, the, this film, it really his last three or four films has sort of underscored my my feeling about him, which is Tarantino. He makes scenes. He writes scenes. He thinks in terms of scenes. He doesn't think in terms of a narrative arc. He doesn't do story. He does scenes. Here will be this great scene where this cool thing happens and everyone will love that scene. And in a lot of ways, that's really an old school Hollywood mentality of, I mean, I'm trying to remember which uh, producer or director was, was known for the saying back in the golden age, but, but was basically the saying was something like, give me three good scenes and a decent ending and you know I can make a movie that, that people will like. And uh, so, the, you know, there were parts of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that I really liked. Um, I generally liked the stuff where Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio characters were together. They seemed to be having a great time <clears throat> making that film, didn't well, they? Well, I, I just love that relationship. It was yeah. like boss, employee, you know, nanny, charge. It was just this real interesting, you know, bro dude um, kind of relationship that they each got something out of. And then when they each went off on their own separate excursions... My mind wandered. I mean, the whole, all the Manson stuff really well, doesn't gonna, work for me. I was, was going to ask you about that because what it does, it just kind of a, sort of does a what if on the Manson a story of the late 60s. Just, just like we did with uh, um, Inglorious Bastards with sure. Hitler. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that didn't really uh, do much for you. I'm, I'm Honestly, I mean, I felt like Adam. It, mm -hmm. it, it felt tacked on. Yeah. It was like you could have just had an hour and a half movie about these guys' relationship and where they go and what they do. And it's like, well, it's in 69 in Hollywood. What was the biggest thing that happened then? Oh, the Manson murders. Somebody just fired away. And I, I don't understand this idea of people said of sort of resurrecting the spirit of uh, uh, Sharon Tate, uh, but then giving her nothing to do. This is like the third movie I've seen this this year, along with The Irishman, was where I was Wasn't bothered. there a film called the, the Haunting of Sharon Tate that was one of the worst movies of the year? I don't. I didn't see that one. It's where the Heron, the the story of Sharon Tate is reimagined as a horror slasher film. No, oh God. <laughs> I think uh, Christopher is glad he didn't see that, but so am I. Uh, I want to ask about a couple of things before we uh, take a break here. I saw um, a couple of documentary films did not make your list. I didn't get to see as many as I liked to, but I, there were two that I got a chance to see and did play here for a short time in Indianapolis. One was meeting Gorbachev. It was Werner Herzog, a German guy, Interviewing, you know, Gorbachev, the Russian, which you know he felt a little uncomfortable with, with the history of those two peoples uh, over several centuries. But uh, I got a lot out of that. 
the other one was the what the uh, documentary film about uh, Father Hesburgh at Notre Dame. Yeah. I saw those. I didn't get a chance to see the films you folks at the IFJA uh, uh, selected as your best documentary. So tell me about the your kind kind of your rundown on documentary films this past year. Um, yeah, I was a bit over. I didn't see either one of those, and I hate to say the Hes- I literally have had the Hesburgh DVD sitting on my desk for like six months, and I just haven't gotten to it. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, so ours were Forsama was our winner, and Apollo Eleven was our second. I liked Forsama. It would be my I put that my probably my number two documentary. So tell us about that. So that's uh, about a um, Syrian filmmaker who has just had her child, and um, she basically just records a year of of their life um, from birth to year one or so of their baby obviously named Sama, uh, and what their life is with being bombed and, you know, uh, everything going there. So it's a very much like, you know, you are there in the immediacy of it. Um, so it's very well done. Um, for me, uh, my number one was One Child Nation, which is about the one-child policy in China, which, honestly, I put off seeing that one because I figured, okay, I, I know, you know, just tell me the subject and watch the trailer. I know what this is going to about going to be about and then i actually watched the entire movie and it's so much deeper and horrifying and really i, I guess i put it above for some because for is bold and brave but in the end it's basically just taking your camera and turning on yourself for a year which okay it made it's for a very to, com- did it capture the horror of a long long part of the longest civil war in the world right now i mean it was basically just from her the perspective sure. of her and her family and her mm-hmm. husband was a doctor and everything going on in the hospital that he was um, helping to run. So it's very well done. I guess I'm a bit old school with documentaries. I, I very much appreciate journalistic type of explorations of a subject where they take you into an issue or they take you into community and you at the, you come out having learned so much and you have a measure of understanding and maybe empathy for that group or issue that you didn't have before. To me, that's, that's what the documentary, that's the highest expression of the documentary um, form. Um, so for me, I just put it above that. Apollo 11, I didn't care for. <laughs> it's actually winning a lot of critic and other group yeah. awards. I don't have to say what, using the, the the yardstick I just outlined there. Of you know, I want to come out with knowing, learning something I hadn't known before. I, I didn't learn anything about the Apollo 11 mission that I hadn't known, other than that spacemen are really boring when they talk to each other on the radio. <laughs> and that seems like what this entire movie was was uh. they found all this old footage of the people going back and forth on the radio and the television broadcasts. And, and they said, okay, well, let's put this, let's edit this into a movie. And I'm sorry, I, 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 I don't mind saying I, I skipped ahead on Apollo 11 from time to time. We will uh, finish up talking about some of the IFJA awards, and Adam will give us our top ten for the decade. You're listening to Hamilton County Goes to the Movies. Our podcast originates from Donatello's Italian Restaurant, 9 West Main Street, in the heart of downtown Carmel's Arts and Design District. Brighten up winter's cold, gloomy days and nights by visiting Donatello's for a quality Italian meal. For more, go to DonatellosItalian.com. If you enjoy our podcasts, write a rating and comment on the many platforms where you can find our podcast, including Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and Spotify. Adam and I plan to continue Hamilton County Goes to the Movies as a periodic podcast throughout 2020. 
Back in Hamilton County goes to the movies. We're talking about the Indiana Film Journalists Association Awards. I'm going to talk about a few more of these, and then we'll talk about some other films in general. You're, you're a best director for your organization, was the, the director for Parasite, and the runner-up was Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which I have not had a chance to see either one of yeah, those. Yeah, that was my favorite Tell me about that. film of the year. Yeah. Uh, and I, I can't pronounce the writer-director's name, so I will not attempt to, because uh, I would probably just butcher it. Um, I, I pushed her really hard for best director just because, you know, I, I like that idea of, you know, people, some of these awards, they tend to just sort of go along in lockstep with each other. It's like, okay, the best picture must also be the best directed picture, which to me, it doesn't really work that way. I like it when awards are spread around. So like, do you remember when uh, uh, Ang Lee won his Oscar for Life of Pi? I do. Yes. I love that because even though that was not my favorite film of the year, I could look at that and say, that's a film that most represents a director's singular vision. Um, and that's what I can say about Portrait of Lady on Fire. It's just, it's a beautiful, haunting film. Um, it's obviously a very personal story about these two women. It's, I think, set in the 1700s on a lonely island where a wealthy woman, uh, the, her daughter is brought in, uh, a, a, a penniless painter is brought in to paint a portrait of her daughter uh, for a, it's called a wedding portrait. Uh, or something like that. Uh, but this was very common back then when, when people couldn't communicate over long distances is when two wealthy families would propose a marriage, they would commission paintings of the bride and potential bride and groom and which were exchanged and marriages were, you know, approved or disapproved on the by basis the, of these by the parents mostly, right? Yeah, Not yeah. by the parties involved. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, just a couple of quick things here. And Adam's got a couple of films he wants to talk about. We'd like you to, China as well, Christopher. But uh, I noticed that the best supporting actor is Willem Dafoe in The Lighthouse. Man, I totally so, agree. So sorry, I have not had a chance to see that film. I will get it as uh, watch it as soon as I can. But I could have, yeah, you love the film. <laughs> I could have, I could have picked our 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 winner was Brad Pitt for Hollywood, and number two was Willem Dafoe for uh, Lighthouse. You would have rather switched him out. Oh yeah, yeah. there was a. Vi- Supporting actor tends to be one of the most competitive categories because there's just so many good supporting roles for men. The, the kind of the overall take that we had this year was best actress was very, very good, very strong category this year. Best actor was kind of weak. Mm-hmm. Supporting actor was strong as it always was. Supporting actress was a little weak. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, just from one movie alone, I could pick um, better supporting actors, which is a film that's not on anybody's awards radar right now because it hasn't come out yet and it's really not getting a push it's called just mercy mm-hmm. um wonderful you know courtroom drama about a wrongfully convicted murder jamie fox will probably get an oscar nomination of it because he plays the convicted murder trying michael to be b free. jordan didn't, is not uh, in the running you think well, he's, he's, the, the, he's the lead. Yeah, he's the lead. Yeah. Okay. So I would oh, push him for best no, actor. Jamie Foxx does deserve a nomination. Okay. I will probably see Tom Hanks get a nomination for uh, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And it's fine, although as much as I like Tom Hanks, I'm okay with him not getting any more awards. Let someone else have a turn. And that um, seems to be the uh, the Oscar <laughs> st- uh, uh, social strategy. Best actor was Adam Driver for Marriage Story. I think I've not seen Uncut Gems uh, with Adam Sandler. That's number two. I'd have picked Christian Bale, but I, I can't really argue Adam Driver is great. Yeah, Christian Bale should have been in the running. I still well. argue Joaquin Phoenix. Hate Joker yeah. all you want. His acting yeah. is Oscar. No, I, that would be my top three right there of best actor. I did like Joker, but I thought you have to give him credit for trying. I mean, he's played these kind of characters before, and he puts everything into it, and I have to give him credit for that. Well, he And he does these crazy, loopy characters. And the thing is, 
you walk out of a movie uh, of especially some of these recent ones, and you're and you're like, my my feeling is nobody else could have played that role, and and not I have agree. it been anything, especially not Jared Leto. Jared Leto would have. Uh, yeah. Remember his attempt at the Joker with Suicide Squad was uh, much maligned by fans out there. You have uh, Jennifer Lopez winning for Best uh, Supporting Actress for, <laughs> yes. for Hustlers. Oh, you cough, cough. She yes. deserves yes. it. I'm going to have to watch the levels on that one. Go I ahead. had a hard time getting through Hustlers. <laughs> it was I fun. It, I found Hustlers just <laughs> dull. It was just sort of the classic, you know, guys doing a heist flick, but let's make it women who are strippers. I mean, my argument with Jennifer Lopez was um, she hasn't been active in movies for about a dozen years. In fact, I think she only made one other movie a couple of years ago that bombed and nobody saw. I can't even recall the name of it. And so this is really her first real film role in a dozen years or so by her own choice. And so she's been doing all this other stuff, music and awards show and the, all that kind of stuff. So she's basically just playing, she's doing a riff on her star persona in this movie playing the sort of very, you know, the alpha female. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, to me, it was, you know, the best job of Jennifer Lopez playing Jennifer Lopez. I think she was, the great thing about her in that movie, it was similar, and this is comparison only in this regard. When I watched uh, The Dark Knight with Heath Ledger, whenever he wasn't on scene, you're like, where's the Joker? Where's Heath Ledger? Bring him back. It was the same thing with Hustlers. Whenever Jennifer Lopez was not on scene, the movie really lagged. But when she was on camera, the movie had charisma, energy, and I think she brought that to the film. And I'm not a fan of her at all. I wanted to actively hate this movie. I think it's one of my surprises of the year <coughs> that I enjoyed it. It's not a top 10 of the year for me. But I think it's a, a thumbs up in my book and uh, a film that's a lot better than it ought to be. I'm just going to mention two other uh, things from your awards. Uh, the one is the, uh, where is it here? Oh, yes, the uh, best actor, Adam Driver. I, you know, I mean, there were a lot of good uh, potential actors in that. Adam Sandler was the runner up for Uncut Gems. So, Adam Driver, how do you think uh, your association uh, wound up with that choice? Um, you know, I, I think people have really admired his work for, for a few years. I mean, he really has only been on the quote-unquote movie scene for about five years now. Um, and he's just done, he's done great work in little films that no, nobody saw. Like, there's a wonderful film he's in called Patterson about a bus driver in a small town who's also a poet. And it, it's a movie where nothing happens. But <laughs> I, I really found it lovely, just a lovely, lyrical little film. So go check that out if you haven't seen him. I loved him in Black Klansman. Yeah, yeah. I mean, great. I mean, so he's just been yeah. doing terrific work. And so I think this was a really just sort of a, I'm going to say breakthrough role for him, but sort of a watershed moment for him as a leading man. One last thing, uh, the Hoosier Award. I always love to see that. The Hoosier Award is something you uh, uh, pass out to somebody with a connection to Indiana, and it was the screenwriter for Ford versus Ferrari, Jason Keller. Yeah. And um, uh, that was a terrific screenplay. Yeah, and um, if you know the history, uh, uh, he actually originated that screenplay quite a while ago. I think it was 10 years or more. Um, and then it went through several iterations of who was going to be starring in the film and who was going to be directing it. Um, and it kind of got shelved for a while and then brought back with this creative team of James Mangold as director and so on and so forth. And they brought in two other um, screenwriters who wrote, you know, I think as a team, wrote a di an additional draft. I mean, anybody knows anything about Hollywood. I mean, there might be 30, 40, 50 drafts of a screenplay sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, it, was, it, it basically was his baby, if you will, um, 
Uh, and so we felt it was he's been doing some interesting work, and he's here from here in Indianapolis. Um, and we just thought it was a, a, a great way to recognize him. I, little note here. I, I was actually contacted by the studio. I heard about this. After, <laughs> after we gave out our awards, uh-huh. um, which I guess isn't a good, uh, you know, they were complaining. They, they were like, well, why weren't the other two screenwriters? We're like, well, they're not from Indiana. And it's the mm-hmm. Hoosier Award, so yeah. you have to be mm-hmm. from Indiana. Um, so that was the reason. I guess that's a good thing. We actually got reached out by the studios uh, on a couple of different things before and after the awards came out, which is nice because, you know, 10 years ago when we gave out our first awards, I mean, like, I don't think anyone was even aware of it. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to be nice to us. I mean, we, we, despite our best efforts and, you know, trying to get like the wires to pick it up and stuff like that, I don't think anyone, certainly within the Hollywood studio system, knew about the IFJ awards. So it's, I mean, yes, even if they're, they're registering a complaint, it's nice to know they're listening. Adam, you've seen a couple of films here lately that you want to talk about, so let's uh, let's uh, let, let's hear it. What, All right. What well, I'll be I'll be a couple of them to say quick too. I want to talk a little bit more in depth about. Um, I saw Little Women in early screening. It did come out Christmas Day. Uh, I know your wife was interested in mm-hmm. seeing that. Um, Greta Gerwig in her follow up to her directorial debut does a great job. I was confused a little bit because the story is told out of order. Christopher it's, seems to be in. Yeah, in it's not a. It's not a linear story like it's been in other versions. They mix up the timeline, which is for dramatic effect, to showcase certain themes. But from someone like me who has not seen the 1994 version, has not read the book, I had to really kind of pay attention to figure out what was going on. I'm not dumb. I could figure it out. But it made me think a little more than I don't want to think too much, Larry. I mean, if I don't want, to, if I wanted a, if I wanted a serious movie that made me think, I would have gone and saw Cats. Seriously, but um, you finally got your, you dig into Cats. I got to I know. Do it, yeah. um, I saw Waves, a film that a lot of my friends raved about and loved. Um, for me, it fell flat. It was similar to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where great acting, great visuals, story was a little weak to me. But, you know, Sterling K. Brown does a great job, and um, maybe your mileage might vary depending on how important that is to you. But for me, it was uh, very indulgent on the director's part and uh, didn't really do anything for me. Yeah, Trey Edward Schultz, who's, uh, this is, I believe, his third feature, and I really loved his first two. Um, His first one was a tiny little film called Krisha, which nobody saw, but it was wonderful. I really loved his stuff, but yeah, this was... His, his third film, Waves, was a classic example of a director falling in love with his own shots. It's like, <laughs> oh, that's such a great shot. I need to, we need to hold that for 90 seconds on that shot of the tree with the ocean in the background. I was like, no, you don't. Don't most directors edit part of that out? Well, it's, it's the Terrence Malick disease. <laughs> I it's, see. It's, you know, it, everyone, I think some certain, certain young filmmakers want to be the next Terrence Malick, um, not understanding that those... He's boring. Darren Smalek's born I will say I actually liked his newest one A Hidden Life it's well worth it it's almost three hours it would be much better at less than two hours but it's actually good I mean it's an aesthetic that very long very slow lyrical cinematic thing where you fall to me too, too much in love with your own your own footage and not willing to not, cut it and leave it Speaking of like a lyrical cinematic movie that almost no one saw that I really enjoyed, that I know you liked, uh, Last Black Man in San Francisco. Yeah. Kind of a unheard of film by A24 this year. Uh, 
tell us a little about what you thought about that. Yeah, I really regret. I, I so you know the way it ends up happening is we start getting these DVD screeners because I'm in the broadcast film critics groups. I get even more. I mean, I literally have I don't know a couple hundred, um, and I can't get to them all. Um, so I sort of have to keep prioritizing, and the you know the the pile moves up and down as as, as, as in terms of what I'm going to see. And I always had Last Black Man in San Francisco on my pile. It actually opened here in Indianapolis. Didn't play for very long. Got kind of you can you, know, you can stream it for free on Prime now. Oh, good, good. Um, and it got you know respectful, but not in you know terribly over the top reviews from the couple that I saw. So I literally didn't watch it until after our nominations for our group had closed, and it was right on the cusp of having enough support to make the final ballot for best picture. And, um, and literally if I'd watched it two days earlier, I could have, you know, put in my vote and, and changed it. And I think it might've even had a chance to make the IFJA's top list because, you know, that, that group of people that did see it all really loved it. It's a, it's a very personal film. It's hard to describe. It's about, um, a man and his best friend and their love hate relationship with the city of San Francisco and, you know, the gentrification and how, you know, historical black families have been pushed out um, and it's just, it's just, it, it, it is one of those like singular vision, a personal voice, like, like Greta Gerwig's first movie, Lady Bird, which I just love. It's, it's just sort of a movie that comes from a very personal place. Um, and you can tell that it just, it has that heft and authenticity and it's, it's so poetic and lovely. It's so it's such a cliche to say the scenery or the backdrop is its own character, but this is, it's really true in this yeah. case. Yeah. Um, now one film I saw. Okay, Christmas Day, I always go see a movie, Larry. All I've right. seen some bad ones. And what was this year's? This year, it was just me and my dad because my brother was just going to go in town. My dad is a news junkie, so we went and saw Bombshell. All right. The movie about Fox News where Charlize Theron looks... It should win an Oscar for Best Makeup because she looks just like Megyn Kelly, and she can somehow act under the makeup too. So and, those people and sounds just like her. Like I love the because Megyn Kelly. It's like it, until you hear someone doing an impression of her, you didn't realize that she spoke in a very distinct yes. sort of way. Um, the film is filled with. Usually, a lot of times you see these movies where it's the true story. It's, this is about the sexual harassment scandal at Fox News. John Lithgow plays Roger Ailes. Uh, I think he does a better job than uh, Russell Crowe did in the Showtime miniseries playing Roger Ailes. And that uh, was about Gretchen Carlson, by the way. Yes, Gretchen Carlson's in it. Uh, Nicole but, Kidman but plays Showtime her. Yeah, highlighted, and this one uh, Megyn Kelly yeah. highlighted in the film. Just and so people uh, know. and then Margot Robbie plays a composite character based on a, a few other people who uh, lodged complaints. Um, it's not a best film of the year. I would say it's directed by Jay Roach. If you know him, he did a lot of those HBO uh, political movies like Recount or the one with Sarah Palin where Julianne Moore plays them. It's in that same vein. It probably would be better just to go straight to HBO. But there's some really good performances in this movie that maybe deserve some nominations there. Um, I laughed a lot more than I probably should at a film about sexual harassment. I mean, there are definitely intentional comedic stretches in that, absolutely. I laughed when the guy dressed up as Geraldo came on, just because Geraldo's <laughs> funny looking anyways. And then yeah. someone dressed up as Geraldo, you know you got to laugh. Or the guy who played Sean Hannity, yeah. he had like a hol- gun holstered in his side pocket, little notes like that. And you're like, okay. And they really, they had everyone play people. They had Judge Janine and Kimberly Guilfoyle and all these pe- actors playing them. 
with varying degrees of success of their impersonations. <laughs> yeah. Some were spot on. Some were like barely SNL level impersonations. Yeah. Um, the Bill O'Reilly wasn't very good. I think they must have done some computer effects added on to him. But um, yeah, I, 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 um, I've got my uh, my top ten list right here, which uh, this probably will publish before the podcast is heard. Um, but yeah, I've got Bombshell as number nine here on mine. Uh, I definitely a film you go to see for the performances. Uh, Charlize Theron is amazing. Nicole Kidman is very good as well, um, uh, and John Lithgow, Margot Robbie, kind of you know, playing that supporting uh, ammo Graham. One of those characters you could sort of sense, like, okay, this isn't a real person. It's she's standing in for some other people. But I mean, you start off with the basis the, of yes, this is totally a quote unquote liberal Hollywood liberal elite takedown of hated Fox News. That's absolutely what it is, but it's still very entertaining um, and I thought insightful about uh, how, I mean, you know, because those of us who are outside looking in from our privileged perches, you know, we look at these situations, we hear about these, these descriptions of horrible behavior and we're like, how could that possibly happen? How could anyone perpetuate that? How could anyone go along with it? How could anyone buy into that culture of let's hide it and and cover it up rather than and that i thought better than any other film this was a great exploration of sort of the pack mentality of how that sort of thing you know when people just sort of close close ranks and say let's let's get past this and move on um and sometimes it's the way they pit women against each other too that's absolutely definitely in that movie the sad part at the end and i don't i don't want to spoil it larry but As if we don't know the yeah, ending. Exactly. <laughs> Roger Ailes was fired, so uh, and, and he eventually died. Yes. You know, in an accident. <laughs> very, within home. a year afterwards. Yeah, know. it was very very quickly after that. And Fox News had to pay out, you know, I think forty million to Gretchen Carlson. And of course, then there was more money for the Bill O'Reilly accusers, which is a separate case. But of course, they've made like a billion dollars in a year, so it's a drop in the bucket for them. Uh, so you think, okay, well, there's some justice. Some of these paid out, and then you see the next text on the screen. That Bill O'Reilly and Roger Ailes were paid sixty-five million oh, yeah. something each in severance. Yeah, yeah, You're like, got, okay, they well. got more than the victims. I, I did like the again without giving anything explicitly away that you know I mean like Nicole Kidman versus Charlize Theron. I mean, there's very much here's the big showy part, which is Charlize Theron, and here's the smaller, not smaller, but the you know there aren't the big personality, the big ways of talking that you know make it such a wow look at kind of performance. Um, but I, I like that sort of little ode at the end to Gretchen Carlson because, I mean, when people think about the Me Too movement and, you know, whether it's gone too far in certain places or things like that, I mean, Gretchen Carlson is really the person that started it. Um, more than any other person you can point a finger to, it was her speaking up that got things rolling. And then came Harvey Weinstein and all the other stuff. Um, so I, I like that way that film ends with sort of a little ode to her. And she she did win her lawsuit. She did get the money, but she never really got another job. No. Megyn Kelly got another chance on another mm-hmm. network. It didn't work out. Um, <laughs> no, no, but no. she did get another chance. <laughs> she got a shot, um, and she now, blew it, yeah. Now, interesting side <laughs> note. So we went Christmas Day, like a later showing. We were like the only ones in the theater, except someone showed up like 15 minutes into the movie, which is kind of odd, I always think. Um, but my dad, while I was... Um, getting some popcorn, he went and peeked in cats to see how many people are in the theater. He says there were two, and it looked like they chose the movie as a quiet place to hook up. <laughs> <Yeah>. so, <laughs> which 
I haven't seen this movie, but it would would that be a good backdrop? You think for what's going on there with cats? What <laughs> now? Now maybe because people have heard about what a huge bomb it is. In fact, you've heard this thing that they're re re. I've heard different descriptions of re-editing or redoing the special effects to try and save it, which is just I've heard there's throwing, a, I heard there's a creepy sexualization of the movie. Yeah, too. they're throwing good money after bad there, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so they got these very skin tight costumes for the cats. And we were discussing beforehand like I had ne- I had never experienced cats in any way. I just, I just knew that it was people on stage dressed in cats and they sang and I knew memory and I think maybe one other song just because they've been covered so many times. That's everything I knew about cats. So I might see it on stage, Larry, because my wife bought the C Season ticket package for the you know the Broadway across America, mainly to get Hamilton tickets because but, if you but, bought it, you get Hamilton at face value. But Cats is in the Cats series. Is in the okay. series. Um, you know, if she wants to take her sister and <laughs> I stay home and watch the baby that night, that is fine. But I, if she really wants me to go, I'll be a good sport and go. But we're, uh, we're running out of time, and uh, we definitely want to get in. Now, that Christopher and I are, are just thought uh, a decade list is. Uh, by the way, if you want to be technical about it, the decade does not in, end until about a year from now. Yeah, but nobody ever goes by that. So nobody, exactly, it's, it's one of those things. It's like it's technically true, but no one observes it. Exactly. So who cares? Yeah. So he, uh, Adam, now has his decade list. His top, I think, ten films. I'll, just, I'll of the keep decade. it to ten. Is that okay with you? Well, if you'll keep. Keep it to 10. That, that'll keep us okay. within the time. All right. My number one of the year, or I'll go backwards. All right. Number 10, a film that didn't get a lot of awards that I love, Nightcrawler, starring Jake yeah. Gyllenhaal. Oh, yeah. okay. Very tense film. I think one of his best performances. Wasn't even nominated for an Oscar. Should have won. Number nine, another Jake Gyllenhaal movie. Uh, not all Jake Gyllenhaal movies. But Thank this one okay. is uh, Prisoners, another film oh, that yeah. really didn't get a lot of love. Mm-hmm. Very uh, good film. You know, a little bit long, but it's got some great performances all throughout. Number eight, Joaquin Phoenix in Her. Um, He gave some a lot of great performances over the past decade. Not only this, but you could point to The Master, which is a film that wasn't 100% work for me but he's oh, always the master i thought was a better film than you thought it was yeah. i it's in my top mm-hmm. whatever okay. the, it's i still like it um but he gives a great performance in her a spike jones movie birdman at number seven a lot of people are always divided on this movie they love her you're making a face like you hate birdman yeah i hate it it's okay a lot of people hate it, it one cre- best picture it obviously cre- some was, people like it you know they took chances and sometimes you fall when you take a chance and i think that may have been the problem with birdman people would, just couldn't handle that they got dizzy looking at him hey michael keaton did it for me man he okay. is birdman um okay. number um six Moonlight, best winner pick, uh, best picture winner that year. Um, when I saw it, I didn't think it had a chance to win best picture, but it was one of my favorites of the year. It uh, upset La La Land, and in that kind of, of course, La La Land did have the Oscar for about two minutes. Yes, <laughs> and I like both movies. Number five is a film that I think has grown in popularity over the years. Uh, Ex Machina, uh, uh, a mm-hmm. small sci-fi film by mm-hmm. Alex Garland. Um, I didn't like his next movie, Annihilation, as much. I was kind of let down. But Ex Machina, great performances. Um, Alicia Vikander gives a, a great performance that year, and I think she ended up winning an Oscar for a different film that year. Number four is, this may be sentimental, maybe sappy, but I love Silver Linings Playbook. Okay. Um, yeah. It's a Not, film that I can watch. I, li- I like it, too. I can watch it again and again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bradley Cooper gives a great performance. Jennifer uh, Lawrence, of course, um, won an Oscar for that film. Um, and says and, a lot about people who live with challenges. And it's, yeah. it's the 
of course, a great film about sports gambling, just mm-hmm. like Uncut Gems is. So if you really love your sports gambling movies, <laughs> you got to watch Well, we this. have it in Indiana, though. Yeah, exactly. Number three, another film that divides a lot of people, which I love, is Drive, uh, with Ryan Gosling in it. Um, a little too artsy or full of itself for some, but for me, the vibe is just perfect. I can watch it again and again. Number two, this may seem pretty traditional, but The Social Network. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a, a great film that didn't get enough love. Jesse Eisenberg does a great performance. Uh, great music by Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails, uh, mm-hmm. who does the music for that. That's right. Um, and number one, I stand by this, Black Swan by Darren Aronofsky with Natalie Portman. She won Best Actress for that movie. It is a mind trip of a movie. I never thought a film about ballet would be so exciting, uh, but it's it's really out there and one that I could watch. Well, exciting is one word to use for it's it. It's pretty out there. I had someone watch it just saying, oh, I like ballet. I'll watch that movie. And they're like, what did I just watch? <laughs> yeah, I, I still get uh, hate comments on my review of Black oh, really? Swan. Yeah. Really? Because it has its uh, very avid uh, proponents. It then. definitely has its defenders, of okay. which I am not one. <laughs> so did you like anything in my top ten? Uh, a couple. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Silver Linings Playbook? Uh, nothing in there that I would put in my top ten for the decade, which I haven't done. I don't know. I don't think I'm going to try and do that. It would be pretty tough. Probably if I did, um, probably a lot of the movies would be from just like like pool in just like three or four, two or three or four different years. Um, let's see. Uh, I would definitely put um, probably I would probably have like three or four films just from 2015. Uh, I, I probably put uh, Blade Runner 2037 in there. I would definitely put Lady Bird mm-hmm. in there. Um, uh, I mentioned uh, Mad Max. I would probably put mm-hmm, that in mm-hmm. there. Um, I don't know. I, I, but you'd have to think about that a lot. Longer. But you've, you've, you came up with some titles pretty quickly. So Well, I'm, I'm here on my computer, okay. and I'm, I'm quickly scrolling through my top, top ten list of various years uh, to see what I can come up with. Now, so Adam hasn't seen this film yet. You and I have. I'm pretty sure you've seen it, the Star Wars film. Your, your take on Star Wars, the latest. Um, up and down. I, 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 here's what I said. I have never not loved a Star Wars movie. I love the original films. I love the prequels. I love the sequels. Generally speaking, if I was to rank the trilogies, it would be original, prequels, sequels. I don't think the sequels stand up. You to... like the prequels better than the new oh, ones? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Many of them are better, I think. I don't know. If uh, well, but let's just put it this way. Uh, I, I think there's definitely a better um, narrative arc in the, the prequels. I mean, you can definitely tell it's George Lucas telling a story. There's so much fan servicing in the sequel trilogy. Can I say something? It, it, it gets yeah. on my nerves. Can I say something about that? Because what worries me, and I love the Star Wars series. I re- the, the first film blew me away because it brought things to the screen we'd never seen before, and I agree with a lot of your analysis. What worries me about Star Wars as a fan of it is it sort of reminds me of the TV series MASH when it was on like nine, ten years, and the writers, I mean, they were still getting great ratings for it. You know, People were watching it, and finally the writers went to the producers and said, we have no more storylines. We're done. That we can only do so much about a mass unit, you know, in the Korean War. We have tapped out, and when they were on top when they decided to go, I'm worried that Star Wars is taking the Skywalker family to a place where I'm sure the stories are just running out. But why can't they do a story that's not about? It's a huge universe with interesting characters. Not every story has to be. Um, 
empire versus rebels. Everything is a rebelling against the government story. Great story, a lot to tap in there. You know, it was disappointing to me that when we saw Han, the Solo movie, which was an okay film, mm-hmm. um, wasn't great. Um, here was a chance to maybe do a heist film, a mm-hmm. criminal movie, because he's in that criminal underworld. And again, they bring in the Empire in every single movie. Um, I think there's a lot more to it. But this is fan servicing. I think, Did you watch like The Mandalorian, though? The, the what now? The new TV show Mandalorian. I have not. Just put John Favreau in charge of the Star Wars universe and you'll be fine. I think that's part of the reason people don't like this new one as much because they saw some excellent Star Wars storytelling in The Mandalorian. Larry, you would like it okay. because Werner Herzog is a villain in the movie you as know, an actor. That says something right there. With his villainous voice. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it's very good. Uh, just uh, We only have a couple of minutes left. I'm going to ask Christopher to just make a final comment. You follow these things closely. Tell me about the films you're looking forward to seeing in the coming year. Gosh, I almost didn't, don't even know. It seems like so many things have wrapped up this year. True. So, Avenger, you know, Avengers and the like, the first big chapter of the Marvel universe has wrapped up. Star Wars has wrapped up this generation or iteration. I, I'll have to tell you, I, I'm not even sure what movies are on the horizon for okay. 2020. I, I probably should be paying more attention <laughs> but you know the last two months of the year is just such a film gauntlet for yeah, us yeah. i mean you know a lot of us i mean like literally every day it's like you know we put the kids to bed it's 10 o'clock and we watch a movie starting at 10 o'clock uh and you reach a point where we're here around the holidays where I, i'm uh, a terrible thing to say as a movie guy i actually look forward to not watching movies for a little <laughs> while so I'm, I'm not too much is not on my radar maybe you guys know you can tell well, me you anything- i think what might be the last Daniel Craig Bond movie, unless he signs on for another, is something that I will look forward to. Well, not too many actors want to do that forever. You know, I think Sean Connery started that, like, I'm not going to be James Bond forever, and I'd like to be an actor doing something else. Although Craig has done a pretty good job, I would say. Those, and, and the, you know, the people who own that, that uh, franchise are, are pretty careful about who their screenwriters are, directors are. They try to put a good product on. So be they... prepared for a lot of people fighting about who should be the next Bond and throwing out crazy <laughs> suggestions that make everyone angry. We'll, we'll, we'll pull for Adam Austin. How's that? Uh, I'm not British. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could put a good accent on. No, I really couldn't. You want to, if, you, if you thought Dick Van Dyke's accent was bad in Mary Poppins, wait yeah. till you hear my British accent. Chris, no, nothing can top uh, uh, Colin Farrell's uh, trying to do an Oki accent in Dumbo, though. Oh, <laughs> if, you, if I had to make my list of uh, worst <laughs> films of the year, Dumbo would definitely be on it. Christopher Lloyd, thank you for joining. We always look forward to seeing you every year. Uh, you are part of the Indiana Film Association, Journalist Association, and you come up with your top list every year. I know it's not everybody in your li- in your organization's top list, but you synthesize it together. It's always fun to, to read that. And people can also read your uh, reviews and those of others in your organization on thefilmyap.com. And you're still on Friday mornings a little after 10 o'clock on Channel 8's uh, Style Show. Have I got yeah, all that right? Yeah, TV, Indie Style. And you don't need to worry about... Uh watching it live or even DVRing it, you can just go to the Wish TV. Mm. uh, uh, Under Indie Style, all my segments have their own clips. You can just pull up the clips and watch them, which... Do you still have them on the Film Yap or is it mostly on Wish Yeah, TV I actually now? share those. Uh, I, okay. I do a link on the Film Yap to okay. that segment every week. So you can just go there and check it out. So thanks for joining us again. Always enjoy it. And we love talking about movies. And that's, that's the most important thing. Thanks for having me, guys. It's always fun. this podcast, Adam and I thank our guest, Christopher Lloyd, from the Indiana Film Journalists Association. 
As 2019 wraps up, we begin a new year of films in 2020. We plan to continue our periodic series of these podcasts because we love film, and we suspect you do too. As we head into 2020, Adam and I thank you for listening to our series of podcasts called Hamilton County Goes to the Movies. We both love film and cannot wait to see what the industry brings to the silver screen in 2020 and, of course, on other platforms such as Netflix. But whatever's happening, we plan to talk about it. So thanks for listening. We'll talk again. 